get away from the from the the shake nonsense. You know, there's just far too many people consuming smoothies and shakes every single day instead of eating real food. Our bodies are designed to chew food, swallow it, and have the food hit our stomach so that we feel full. When it came to eating and dieting, I couldn't I couldn't do it. I interviewed over a thousand women and I said, what did you do? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. What did you eat? How'd you do it? If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, The Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and I can't tell you how excited I am for today's guest. The reason is because we talk so much about wellness and other things, but really this is an intermittent fasting podcast, and she is an intermittent fasting expert. She's a nurse practitioner, functional nutritionist, a two-time TEDx speaker, the the co-host of Everyday wellness podcast, and she's a wellness blogger. Please welcome to the show, Cynthia Thurlow, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, it's really an honor. All right, so I'd love to kind of have you first discuss your own wellness journey and how it led to you developing Cynthia Thurlow LLC and your blog your blog and your podcast. Hmm, that's a good question. Well, so I've been a nurse practitioner technically for 19 years, and I truly believe my like health and wellness focus really started, you know, probably from the very beginning, you know, just being a nurse practitioner, we're looking at different resources, different ways of interacting with our patients. But I think when I had children for the first time, when I had my oldest son, he had terrible eczema. And so for me, it started this journey of really looking at what was, what, what, what was I eating? Cause he was breastfeeding. And that was the deep dive into um, really more closely examining the choices we were making in our personal lives. Obviously my husband and I are very fit and healthy and thought we really were, um, but started to really kind of clean up our diets, change our perspectives as it pertained to, you know, really investing in, in lifestyle choices. But I think the big thing for me that probably changed it all and what pivoted me away from clinical medicine to developing my own business was just my own health journey. You know, I hit perimenopause. I like kind of flew into a wall. I'd never heard that term used at all. You know, I, I always say like, I trained at a big research hospital. You know, I clearly have had an excellent education. I'd never heard the term used, not by my midwife or my OBGYN. And it wasn't until I literally couldn't get out of bed one day that I started to realize that something needed to shift. I was not depressed, but I was so tired. I could barely function. And I think many, many years of you know, what I would refer to as not doing enough self-care, not sleeping enough, maybe going too low carb, maybe over-exercising without realizing it, and just the cumulative stress of just being a mom and being a wife and having a husband who traveled as well as a stressful job just really hit me hard. So I think that's really where the pivot started for me. Awesome. And if you're listening to this podcast, you should actually watch it on YouTube and then you'll be able to see Cynthia's skin. It's absolutely glowing. It's like perfection. Oh, thank um, you. So, <laughs> um, and I love what you say about getting to the root of things because I'm about to launch the second edition of my book, Waste Away. And in this new edition, I really start talking about getting to the root of the actual health problems. Um, So talk about what do you think are some of the most common root causes that are leading to our chronic long-term health issues? 
Mm. Oh, gosh, this is easy. Uh, I think it's our highly processed diets. You know, we, we don't really eat food. We eat food like substances. I think that's huge. And I think because the food is so highly processed, we are getting so much cross-contamination. So people will say to me, well, I'm gluten-free, but if you're eating all these processed foods, you're still being exposed to gluten, unless it's in a gluten-free facility, for which there are not a lot of those, and, and you will usually pay a whole lot more money. I think we're increasingly a society that is overstimulated. You think about the fact that before the advent of the light bulb, people went to bed when it was dark and got up when it was light out. But now people are working 24 seven. They're bathed in junk light just from what we're you know, exposed to by our computers, our iPhone, our laptops, um, you know, our, our tablets. And you know, we're just not investing enough in sleep quality. You know, sleep is really absolutely foundational to our health. And what I find is most people think of sleep as being this have to kind of thing like doing your laundry. And I always say, if you aren't having high quality sleep every single night of the week, you are, you are really setting yourself up for um, being much more susceptible to a lot of health problems. So mm. those are three big ones that I see with some frequency. I think there's also this lack of connection with people People, you know, kind of ascribe to social media. They spend hours and hours and hours on their computers, but they're not really connecting with human beings. They're not having real relationships. They're assuming they're, the, the amount of likes they get on a social media post somehow is really connecting with individuals. And so really making time for the things that you love to do and with the people that you love doing them with, I think is another piece. I think we're just increasingly getting much more insular. We're not getting, it's kind of like plants. We need to be bathed in sunlight first thing in the morning. We're not connecting enough with nature. We're not moving our bodies. We're sitting on our butts uh, a good portion of the day. And I think, you know, I always say sitting is the new smoking. You know, I used to get poo-pooed about that. But, you know, we're not designed. Our bodies are not designed to be sedentary. We're actually meant to be active, not just when we go to CrossFit in the morning, we burn so many calories. We are designed to be active throughout our, our daily lives. And I think those are, you know, five or six things that I really think are contributing to a lot of diabetes, obesity, insulin resistance, a lot of mental health problems, escalating rates of Alzheimer's, which is type three diabetes, as well as, well as cancer risk, just based on lifestyle choices. Awesome. And I know you're very focused on nutrition and a big proponent of intermittent fasting. What's your normal fasting window that you stick to? And do you do any longer fasts? Great question. Um, I am a 16-8 gal, meaning I fast for 16 hours. I eat within an eight-hour window. However, lately over the summer, I have been experimenting with different fasting windows. I've done one meal a day, which didn't really work for me because to try to cram in all my calories in a four-hour window, I was very full and uncomfortable. I've done some extended day fasts. The longest one I've done has been three days. Um, you know, the longer the fast, the more you can kind of tap into these you know, more kind of profound benefits from intermittent fasting. I think my happy place is 16-8. I think doing, you know, one or two 24-hour fasts a month are reasonable for me personally, but I just don't feel fantastic when I'm fasting for three, four days. I just, right. you know, it doesn't matter how much I hydrate. I like to be active. I just don't feel like I have as much energy. You know, I, I'm, I'm committed to trying to work through some different tricks and tips to see if that changes. Because uh, I do have colleagues that really are fans of longer fasts and doing that on the regular, and I'm just I'm just not there yet. How about you? Yeah, I the longest fast I've ever done is an 
eight day fast, but by day four, I started doing a little bit of green juice. So basically I went four days with nothing. And then on day four, I had just like, it was like cucumber, spinach, kale, um, no fruit in it at all, some ginger, some lemon. And then day like four through eight, I did, uh, green juice but I'm the same way I have some thyroid issues and so for me the longer day fast do not work well for me the one meal a day works very well for me when I do that I have tremendous weight loss when I do it and I feel I feel pretty good um, and you're right you just the more you do it the less you get to the place where you're um, eating so much on that one meal a day. So it takes time that, because the first time you do it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm ravenous. And then you're eating everything with the kitchen sink. But the more you do it, you go, okay, I'm eating in the next 24 hours. And then you're not so crazy ravenous. Exactly. I've come to find like for me personally, I love to break my fast. People are always asking how I break my fast. And one of my favorite things to eat, I don't know why, I've, ever since I left the hospital earlier this year, I'm very preoccupied with eggs. And so there's a lot of eggs in my world. Um, eggs and bacon are like my favorite thing to break a fast with. Mm -hmm. I think the one one day when I did the one meal a day, which wasn't truly intentional, I was so full because there was so much fat in the pork bacon that when my four hour window came, I was like, I'm really not hungry. So I'm just going to push on through till tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, you can definitely, it, it's all about bioindividuality. It comes down to what works for you, what works for you and for me may not work for 10 other people. Uh, so I'm always about embracing, you know, kind of figuring out for yourself, doing a little bit of detective work, not being a sheeple, you know, just don't blindly following um, that er the one way works for everyone. I just find that uh, people do much better when they do a little bit of experimentation and, and really listen to what their bodies are intrinsically telling them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'll show you that I had, um, I had ordered these things. I, there's this thing called Gin Gins. They're like, they're just like little pieces of ginger that has a little bit of cane sugar in them. And I like to have like one right after I eat something. Like after I eat something, I usually like something sweet. And these came in the mail. And I was breaking my, it was about 24 hours and I was breaking my fast. And these happened to come in the mail from Amazon. And I had one of them and then I was like really hungry. So then I had another one and then I ended up having three of them. That was the worst thing I could do. That That is the one piece is that protein is the thing that, like, think about how much protein is in that, that eggs and bacon. That is the best, best thing for you to be, fat and protein is super important for you to be breaking your fast with. And so, like, that was a disaster. I had those three gingins, and then I went home, and then I just, uh, just ate too much. So I was like, not doing that trick again. And I tell people not to do that. I don't know why I thought that that was a good idea. <laughs> well, but, then, but then you know, then you yeah. can say, okay, I can probably do fine with one, but certainly not three. Yeah. So are there any food types or food groups that you say, look, for me, absolutely not. I can't, I've got to avoid this food because I don't feel good when I eat it. Anything for you? Yeah. Oh, well, I've got a bunch. Um, <laughs> so gluten, grains, dairy, Although my functional medicine provider is trying to convince me to in, reintroduce uh, rice and oats, and I tried rice yesterday, and it wasn't it, same thing. It just drops my blood sugar. So that and my new thing that I'm I'm not thrilled about, but since I left the hospital, I'm not tolerating oxalates. 
Uh, so for someone that's eating a gluten-free diet, that's a lot of my diet. So that includes, you know, nuts and citrus fruits and a few other things that make me particularly unhappy as well as sulfur rich foods. I love Brussels sprouts, but I, my body is just not tolerating high fiber foods. So all the cruciferous vegetables, the kale, the broccoli, it makes me sad to say this, Brussels sprouts, um, cabbage, uh, cauliflower, and then um, one of the big ones that's that's also causing me a lot of um, duress these days are you know some of the seeds. So I've had to rethink a lot of my meals, which again I keep going back to bacon, beef, bison are all working well for me. I'm I'm almost a carnivore, which was never my intention to to uh, be that focused. But it's amazing. You you if you are hospitalized and you have issues with your digestive system it may take a while for your body to kind of reacclimate to eating real food. So I'm just trying to be patient. And if anyone that's listening, that's had to be on an elimination diet, I understand it can really be a bear, but I always say, stay true to, you know, why you're doing this, you know, trying to kind of reroute the digestive system. Um, but for me, absolutely. I feel terrible. If I have dairy, I feel terrible. If I have gluten, um, I don't feel great with grains. Um, and the rest I kind of look at as temporary, temporary eliminations that I have to make. Yeah, I just had a listener or a guest on our show that talked about, there's also like, if she has white rice, she does not feel good. But if she has white rice that she cooks and then refrigerates and puts the next day and then she eats it, she feels fine and it's like all these different things you have to listen to your own body and figure out that question how do i feel when i eat this um so if you had to name like the top three things that our listeners should be doing daily for that to to help their overall wellness any like little things like that you do daily what would they be um, you know, I would say first and foremost, I think it's really important to be grateful and it could be something small. So kind of starting your day with, uh, you know, writing down three things you're grateful for. And it could be something really small. Like I sometimes I'm just happy it's not raining. <laughs> um, so I think practicing gratitude, it's, it's an active practice uh, for which, you know, after everything I've been through this year, I always say that, you know, practicing gratitude is really critical, can change your brain chemistry. You know, the sleep for me is huge. I, I don't care who I talk to. I think we're just conditioned as individuals to not put a lot of high priority on sleep. So getting high quality sleep, at least seven, eight hours a night, cold, dark room, um, you know, wearing blue blockers after six o'clock at night, you know, wearing a face mask after you need to get off of electronics, you know, put them in airplane mode if you need to have them in your bedroom. Um, I think those are, are really helpful. And then, you know, I think just being open-minded to the fact that just because something worked for you for 10 or 15 years doesn't necessarily mean it will continue working for you being open-minded about the fact that you know as we evolve mature and grow sometimes we have to kick old habits to the curb as, as challenging as it is to do that and a lot of the work that i do is centering around food and for a lot of people food is comfort for many it's food is fuel if you're part of the former and not the latter making dietary changes can be particularly challenging so I would say just remaining open-minded that old habits may not work for you forever. Mm, I love that. And now something I ask all my guests, take me through a day in the life of Cynthia. Like, what did you eat yesterday? When did you eat it? Did you work out? Um, how long? Oh, yeah. So yesterday was just, it turned out it was a rest day because I'm a big believer if I don't have a great night of sleep, 
I won't necessarily push myself through a really tough workout. And today, today was yesterday's workout, so it, was, it would have been a leg day. But I get up in the morning, I do my gratitude work. Um, I will try to read for 30 minutes. Um, oftentimes that can be on a device. It might be that I'm listening to a book. Um, I could go out for a walk uh, and just be exposed to the sunlight, as it, which is really helpful with all the receptors we have on our skin and our retinas for kind of letting our bodies know it's time to, to wake up and get going. Um, yesterday I showered, uh, I went downstairs. I, I take thyroid medication, so that's the first thing I usually do, get my dogs out, get my kids up. You know, my husband is totally, you know, able to get himself up and moving in the morning, but, you know, did quite a bit of work um, for my clients uh, in the morning, taped a couple of podcasts. Um, in the afternoon, you know, work-related responsibilities, you know, a lot, I'm in the midst of heading out to LA in about a week and a half, so I was setting up some appointments for people that I'll be meeting with when I'm out there, coordinating things with my team, and then some uh, other things with my kids, you know, activities, you know, allergy appointments, et cetera. And then typically, you know, depending on what's going on, my husband went golfing yesterday. So, uh, you know, my kids were eating in shifts. We weren't all eating at the same time, got them their dinners, got myself kind of geared down, did some laundry and then went to bed around 930. So not the most exciting of days for me, but, um, you know, definitely things that typically play a huge role are nutrition. And so, I broke my fast yesterday, not so exciting with bacon and eggs, which has been like my mainstay. I only had two meals. I had um, a grass-fed beef burger uh, with some asparagus last night and some guacamole. I'm always focusing when I'm eating, always focus on protein and healthy fats, depending on whether or not I'm carb cycling that day. Yesterday was a low carb day because I wasn't exercising, doing intense exercise. So I really kind of up my fat intake and, and keep my carbs pretty low. And obviously today is a high carb day because I did leg day. But yeah, that's 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 about as exciting as it is for me at home. It's a lot of focus on family and business stuff, mindset. And then one thing I did do, um, I'm trying to commit to 30 minutes of reading in the evening. And I'm working on a couple nutrition books right now that I've been listening to. This one was on, um, it's actually Nutrition in Crisis. Uh, it's Flawed Studies, Misleading Advice, and the Real Science of Human Metabolism. One of my like geeky books. Um, but really helps me when I'm trying to, um, on social media, kind of dispense some of the nonsense science that goes on or the nonsense results that are reported. It's really helpful to have good information to be able to draw upon. So would you say in general, for the most part, you're eating two meals per day? Would that be pretty much on the average? And then you're not snacking in between those two meals, just those two meals. Mm -hmm. And then how many days a week would you say you're eating a higher carb uh, and how many would you say you're doing a lower carb? Uh, typically it's two low carb days. Other days I usually do hit or Tabata. Uh, I typically have two moderate carb days. Um, I have one day that's a high carb day and then I give myself flexibility on the other two days. It really depends on what's my body telling me it needs. Um, and for me, you know, right now, some fruits are, are safe for me to eat that don't upset my digestive system. There are some vegetables as well. Um, it really depends on what my energy levels are like. How do my muscles feel? How was my sleep? I'm very, very tapped into how my body feels. And so therefore, even if it's a lower carb day, if I have some berries, I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not rigid with my diet at all other than it's protein and healthy fats with every meal. Those are my two things that are really important for me personally. Um, obviously my vegetable consumption has gone down a lot uh, since I was in the hospital just because I just don't tolerate it. But uh, I would say it's almost, it, the consistency is this, 
two low carb days, two moderate carb days, one high carb day. And then the other two days, there's some flexibility depending on how my body feels. And when you're, let's pretend that today was a high carb day. What would that day look like for you of what you were eating? Yeah. So it's usually, so right now it's usually, um, less healthy fats. So my meals will mostly be uh, protein, smaller portions of healthy carbs. So when I break, when I, when I eat after this uh, podcast, I'll probably have a grass fed beef burger, probably some avocado. Um, I will very likely have sweet potato or spaghetti squash. So I will up the starchy carbs earlier today. When I broke my fast, I actually had a banana, which I don't eat all that often, but I do enjoy bananas when I'm able to eat them. Um, I normally would have had some nut butter. I had to have some sunflower seed butter just to have some fat with the carbs. I do better when I have uh, a combination of uh, a piece of fruit with some type of a healthy fat. It just slows the absorption of the fruit. And then probably tonight for dinner, I know we have some bison, so I may have a bison steak um, and I may have sweet potato then. So for me, it's I, I get a lot of my starchy carbs from sweet potatoes, white potatoes, depending on if I'm tolerating them, squash um, are really good indicators. I'm, I've been pushed occasionally lately to kind of incorporate some other things. Like I mentioned, the rice, uh, which I tried yesterday, I didn't do really, really well with. So just remaining kind of attuned to what I want to do. And then, you know, I have a lot of berries, you know, berries are in season right now. And so if I feel like having berries after my dinner, I will as something that's a little bit sweet. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a typical day. It's really, it's, it's actually not all that exciting <laughs> when I talk about my diet out loud, but you know, with the, with the sweet potato, I would definitely have some butter, some grass fed butter. So talk about what happened when you went to the hospital? How did you get there? What happened? That's a good question. So uh, in February, my husband and I went to Hawaii. My husband had business there and I kind of tagged along with him. I was starting to work on my second TED talk. And when we came back about 48 hours after we came back, I started having nausea and vomiting and I just assumed I picked up a bug. You know, we had really long flights across the United States. Uh, by the following day, I had the worst abdominal pain I'd ever experienced in my entire life. And so that clued me in that something was not right. Went to the emergency room and I was informed that my appendix had ruptured and that I had um, an inflamed colon, the entire length of my colon. Because my colon was inflamed, they couldn't do surgery. And I was very, very adamant that I didn't want them to take out my colon, that I wanted to you know, try to fight this on my own. On day two, I developed a small bowel obstruction. By day five, I was really very depressed. I'd never been that sick before. I was really just very uncomfortable. And so I ended up developing a couple abscesses in my peritoneum, which is your abdominal cavity. I ended up with a fistula. I had multiple procedures while I was in the hospital. I was in the hospital for 13 days. I lost 13 pounds. Um, and I went home on March 2nd and was so weak I could barely walk up the stairs. And so it was a lot of a, you know, kind of mental and emotional journey. And so six weeks after I left the hospital, I had my appendix taken out. But before then I did my TED talk with a ruptured appendix. So that was kind of a cool thing. And I, I think it really speaks to, um, I tell my children all the time, mindset is everything. And in my mind, the two things that were going to happen was I was going to get home to my family because I was too young to die and I was very sick. And I was going to do this TED talk because I felt that people really needed to hear this information. And so I was able to accomplish that. And, you know, again, it goes back to being grateful. And I feel great. I mean, I'm back to the gym. I'm lifting heavy. I'm sleeping well. I just, my digestive system since February has not been its normal, you know, very kind of efficient um, machine that it was. So it's, it's recognizing that, you know, like I said earlier, sometimes things that used to work for you no longer work. And so I'm having to rethink all of the foods that I'm eating and how I eat and 
find a way that, that works well for my body. I'm so excited that my second edition book came out and I've added a ton of new content with actual transcripts from a bunch of thin eaters that I interviewed. Go to Amazon or go to ChantalRayWay.com and you'll get a bunch of free gifts when you buy the book. We also have a new video course featuring all the thin eaters coming out. So go to ChantalRayWay.com for more. If you're wanting to take yourself to the next level, everyone needs a coach. Every professional player has a coach. We wanna come alongside you and help you in your journey. Go to ChantalRayWay.com slash coaching. Now back to the show. Okay, well, we're going to jump right into the listener questions. And this first one is from Kristen in Boise. Hi, I've done a couple of extended water fast in the past, and I felt really great on them. I have hypothyroid, and I'm planning to do another fast after seeing my doctor. I'm doing some research trying to find information on best practices regarding my thyroid medication of whether to take it or not take it while I'm fasting, or do you have any resources I could check out? I'm only finding information on IF, unfortunately. Any ideas or information would be so appreciated. Yeah, I would say if whether you're doing intermittent fasting or doing extended fast, you should absolutely take your thyroid medication, whether it's because you have an autoimmune problem or some other reason that your thyroid, you might be in perimenopause or menopause, um, you can still safely take your medication. And I would, I would definitely encourage you to do so. Um, when it comes to extended fast, I always like people to be kind of introspective and ask themselves, you know, why are you doing an extended fast? I mean, I think that is super helpful. Some people do it because they want to jumpstart weight loss or they're just looking to really tap into telomere length, which, you know, impacts aging. Um, I don't, however, think that most people need to be doing extended fasts on the regular. If they do it every once in a while, I think that's fine. Um, I just don't think it's something that people need to be doing regularly unless there's a specific purpose behind that. And I'm, I'm, and I'm not sure what your purpose is. Yeah, I think for me, I agree. I think you should still be taking it. The only thing is, is that when you start doing a longer fast, for me personally, what happened was when I was taking my thyroid medicine, the more days you take it, your thyroid works better when you're not eating. So what happens is, is that, um, you know, the more days you're fasting, you might feel like, oh, my thyroid's functioning better because you are fasting. So you just... You know, unfortunately, if you have thyroid issues, you just have to be more careful. One of the things I did when I started taking, when I was doing that eight-day fast, I actually just took my thyroid medicine because I started feeling like my thyroid was working more. I actually still was taking it, but I actually took the pill and cut it in half on those last couple of days um, just because I felt like, oh my gosh, my thyroid's really starting to function. But I think you just have to play it by ear and see how you're doing it. But yeah, if you have thyroid issues, doing too long of a fast, I don't think is, you just, it's harder, let's put it that way, when you are taking it. And I think there are still a lot of Western medicine trained providers that aren't familiar with intermittent fasting. And so they hear that, they think you're trying to starve yourself. You know, working with someone that has some familiarity about, um, you know, the endocrine system, you know, a solid foundation of, of the endocrine system and how intermittent fasting can be beneficial is really critical as well. Okay, this is from Heidi in Dover. So I do IF and work out first thing in the morning, 5.15 a.m. 
I was having half of a five hour energy to help me. Am I breaking my fast? Then later I also have one cup of coffee with heavy cream. Am I breaking my fast then? Heidi and Dover. I don't know what's in the five hour energy drink. I'm gonna assume it's a ton of caffeine and probably a bunch of chemicals. So that would be a no, you should not be drinking that. Uh, I'm a purist when it comes to intermittent fasting. There's fat fasting and then there's water fasting. Uh, water fasting is just water, plain coffee or tea. Uh, fat fasting is when you start adding fats to your coffee. So to answer your question, if you're doing fat fasting, that's what that is. If you intend to do traditional fasting, I'm a purist and I would suggest that you omit the, omit the cream from your coffee if you're still within your fasting window. Perfect, I agree. All right, this next one is Susie Nagy from Monticello, Florida. I've been doing IF and have reached my goal weight and I feel amazing, thanks so much. So my question is, since I got to this point by only eating when I was hungry and knowing that mindful eating is a great choice, how do I proceed? I feel like I either have to eat, start eating more than it takes to be satisfied or eating when I'm not hungry to lose, to not lose any more weight never thought I would have that problem. Just in case it's important, I'm 42, 5'5", and 125 pounds. Thank you, Susie Nagy. Well, I mean, there are plenty of people that are at their goal weights that continue to practice intermittent fasting. I mean, I'm, I'm one of them. I would say that I think it's really critical that you're not not eating. You know, it's very common as women get older, you know, with the loss of estrogen that we just don't have the same, you know, we just don't feel as hungry. We don't feel like we have to eat quite as much food. I, I think that's a normal function of aging and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I wouldn't, I, I would still ascribe to, you're gonna eat at 10, you're gonna eat at six or wh whatever schedule works best for you in your personal life. I think you should break your fast. You should enjoy some food. You should, you know, go a couple hours before considering if you are indeed hungry. You know, the other thing is you can end up slowing your metabolism if you're not eating at all. So I, I would definitely recommend that you still stick to some intervals. You don't have to eat a large portion of food, but you should definitely be focusing on those protein and healthy fats and carbs as your, you know, body kind of dictates. And mindful eating really does, you know, kind of question, it actually will force us to question whether or not we're hungry. But I think, you know, being full and being satiated is very different than just not eating at all. So I think that you just have to remain mindful to how what your body's telling you. Maybe you're going to have a green juice instead of having a meal, and that's okay one day. But, you know, ensuring that you're getting sufficient calories in from day to day is really critical. I know. I wish I had that problem that I was just losing too much weight. I know a lot of people were thinking that. But my, my suggestion for her would be that, I definitely, my my biggest thing is always never eating beyond full. That's number one. And definitely, if she feels like she is losing too much weight, that to increase that eating window to a longer period if she feels like she's losing too much weight. And the other thing is you can really liberalize your, your fats. You know, those are the kind of people mm. that I say, you know, you might be able to eat yes. half an avocado. You might be able to have more grass-fed butter or coconut oil or avocado oil or, or whatever, your nuts. Although nuts are tricky for women in particular. I think, you know, people, people have portion distortion. And so I always say you want to be mindful, but not feel like you have to measure every single meal. But if it's really 14 almonds as a serving, just being mindful of the portion sizes that you're you're creating for those fats. But yeah, increasing your healthy fats can be really helpful for that. Mm. 
All right, this one is from Alaya in Maui. So I've been on uh, intermittent fasting for about 24 days now. I've done fasting and keto before and hadn't had success, but didn't stick with it. This time I've gained 30 pounds from a poor diet, though I believe some of it's from muscle gain because I do landscaping for work. Here's my question. I've always had poor circulation in my legs. They've had little white spots on it ever since I can remember. Sometimes I get restless legs at night, but since fasting, it's gotten worse. I specifically wake up early in the morning with my right leg feeling strange. I have to massage it and stretch it for about 10 minutes before I can fall back asleep. I'm not sure what the reason is. If it's circulation, what would you recommend? And if it's fasting, is it affecting it? Why might that be? Okay, so if you think it might be circulation, you need to be evaluated by a medical provider, whether it's a physician, a nurse practitioner, or PA, because I can't diagnose what's going on uh, just with the information that you have provided us with. But one thing that can happen when people start intermittent fasting is they may need more electrolytes. And it could be that you need more magnesium and potassium. Um, there are a lot of electrolyte replacements. And by this, it's, we're not talking about Gatorade. Um, there's a product by Jigsaw that I'm a huge fan of that has some vitamin C and some sodium and potassium that I think is really awesome. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like electrolyte water. I just still think that's a gimmick. But, you know, there are drops, you know, electrolyte drops that you can put safely into your water. And I would imagine with the kind of work that you're doing, you're probably sweating quite a bit. So it may be that you've just you're losing electrolytes that might explain why you had that Charlie horse in your in your calf that one morning. So I would definitely look into that, you know, get 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 your legs examined, make sure your magnesium or potassium aren't really low, you know, they can do blood work for that. And then if all else looks good, then I would focus on the electrolyte replacement. Awesome. Real quick before you move on to the next question, what other products do you say, you know, these are some of the different products that I use um, that I love. Anything that you can think of that you can share? Are you talking about like food or supplements? Any, or? any of your like, these are some of my favorites. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm a huge fan of adaptogenic herbs. I think that, you know, these are naturally occurring plants and substances that can really be beneficial. And I start to think about things that can calm the central nervous system. You know, they can help blunt the impact of cortisol. So I think about maca. I think about Eleuthero, I think about Siberian ginseng, um, I think about ashwagandha, rhodiola. Uh, so, you know, whether you take it by tea or you put it into a smoothie or you stick it in your coffee, they're all hugely beneficial. Those are things that I would say are, are super important. Um, you know, there's a there's a supplement called Serifos, um, and that's the trade name, and it's phosphylsterine. And so, again, it's, it's very fat loving, so it loves the brain, it helps to blunt the impact of cortisol. Those are things that um, you know I, I take on a, a daily basis that I really enjoy. I think about, um, you know, I have an aura ring, which helps kind of calibrate, you know, bodily processes. I love it. I actually don't have it on right now. I'm laughing, otherwise I would show it to you. Um, I really like the aura ring. I would say, um, you know, kind of silly things. Like I love, I love my Audible. I know that sounds so silly. But it's such a great way to like, you know, listen to books, um, to learn. I'm all about learning. You know, I'm kind of one of those people, like if I'm walking outside, I might be listening to music or if I'm with my kids and they're on their bikes, I'm talking with them. But sometimes it's such a fantastic way to enjoy hearing a story. I think that we've gotten so 
far removed from, um, you know, storytelling. You know, we're, we're so plugged into watching visually things that are going on that I love listening to a book because it forces my brain to be imagining what the what things look like, what things taste like, what things, you know, really appear to be. I would say those are like three of my, you know, or three or four of my favorite things when I'm thinking about like things I don't want to be without. Those are definitely a couple. Awesome. All right, this next one is Maggie from Sorokin Cranston. Some of these places I'm thinking like, what is that? I have never heard of that. Have you ever heard of that? No, no, no. Never. I was expecting there to be a state after that, but yeah, never. Okay, so I've been doing IF since the beginning of the year, and I've lost ten to fifteen pounds. I have yet to test my ketones, but that's the next step for me. She says, "I want to take some blood work to see what must be, what might be missing in my body, and to check my blood levels." I would love to get some guidance with that. For someone who is starting out and needs needs it to be a bit more simple, what should I get tested on? Um, with what little information I was given, I would say, you know, getting a complete blood count, I think is a nice first step, doing a total cholesterol panel to see where those numbers are, looking at a full thyroid panel, which means more than a TSH and a free T4, um, you know, hemoglobin A1C, which is a snapshot of what has been going on with your blood sugar control over the last three months, an insulin level, which is, you know, what, which is one of the things we really focus on in intermittent fasting. We want to keep those insulin levels low. And I always say, you know, low within a healthy range is really important. Um, and then probably an LDH, but without knowing more, that's probably where I would start if we're trying to keep it really simple. Um, you know, I always get questions about how do I test my adrenals? How do I test this? How do I test that? I would say it's always in the context of what's the history, what are your symptoms, if your energy levels are good, you're sleeping well, you're not having hot flashes, that's probably where I would start. Mm. All right, this is from Linda from Highland Village, Texas. I was told by my genetic doctor that I have an appetite gene. I came home and told my husband and he said, I could have told you that for $2, not $20,000. I said yes, but that would have, but that would have not been a marriage-enhancing move. LOL. My question is: I love intermittent fasting because it does seem to correct that gene. So I've been doing it for over a year and have lost about ten pounds. I mostly do a six-hour window and have done some two to three hours, and that didn't help. I'm wondering if you have any suggestions. I hear keto could help, but I don't want to be eating that strictly. I feel anxious and don't see, sleep well on keto, and it's so confusing to count macros. It's frustrating when I hear others that have lost so much and pretty much eat whatever they want, and although I don't eat perfectly, I eat so much better. Thanks, Linda from Highland Village, Texas. Yeah, you know, the ketogenic diet can be really hugely beneficial for so many people. But what I find is it's not a it's not a panacea for everyone. You know, sometimes women don't do well on a ketogenic diet because it's too large. Lar excuse me, too low carb. Some people don't do well on a ketogenic diet because it's too high carb. And if you're not, you know, breaking down and metabolizing your fats properly, that can be problematic. And so I think, you know, the fact that you've lost 10 pounds on uh, with intermittent fasting as a strategy tells me you're on the right path. Um, 
if what you're saying is, is that, you know, this appetite gene that's been turned on, because we have lots of genes, it's all about whether or not the genes are turned on or turned off. You know, it's the science of epigenetics. And for some people, the gene gets turned on and it gets more problematic. I would say that my best recommendation for most women north of 40 is they really need to be lower carb. That doesn't mean no carbs. That doesn't mean less than 20 grams of carbs. That means low carb, meaning you know, 50 to 100 a day at most. That's where most of us get in trouble. And so that's the portion size piece. So always focused on protein and healthy car, excuse me, protein and healthy fats, adding in those carbs, depending on whether or not you're active. I always say, earn your carbs. No one needs to be eating 300 grams of carbs a day. Let me give you an example. If you go to a fast food place and you get a sweet, a sweet tea or a sweet soda, and you have fries and you have a Big Mac, I mean, you could easily blow through 300 grams of carbs just with that meal. So I always remind people, when you're getting your carbohydrates from real whole foods, that's very different than getting them from processed foods. I would encourage you to um, you know, consume less processed foods. If you can't um, actually pronounce an ingredient, it's probably worth not consuming it. You know, get away from the, from the, the shake nonsense. You know, there's just far too many people consuming smoothies and shakes every single day instead of eating real food. Our bodies are designed to chew food, swallow it, and have the food hit our stomach so that we feel full. What I'm seeing is people are consuming four or 500 calories in a smoothie or in a shake, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're obsessed with them. I mean, I don't know other, any other way to describe it. They're not eating real food, and instead they should be eating a piece of chicken or a piece of steak or a piece of pork or fish or whatever your preference is with some real, real vegetables, with some healthy fats, adding in carbs if you've earned them, meaning did you exercise that day? And by exercise, I don't mean you went for a walk in your neighborhood, that you really earned that carbohydrate so that you actually are going to burn it efficiently and then when you're consuming carbs, whether it's rice or quinoa or sweet potato or um, squash, as an example, your, your portion sizes are mindful. You're not going to eat two cups of rice. You're, you're going to have half a cup and see how well you tolerate that. And, and when I find when women start tweaking their macros just a bit, I'm not a fan of tracking macros. I, I just think that's not something that's sustainable long term. And I'm all about sustainable practices when women stop tracking their macros and start really tuning into what their body is telling them, are you satiated with that piece of chicken and that broccoli and that grass-fed butter? And maybe you have you know, half a cup of rice. Most people will be. Here's the other thing, ladies. If you have a meal and then you're really tired afterwards, wrong composition of meals. You know, We don't talk a lot about that. How did you feel after you ate an hour, mm. two hours? Did you wanna go take a nap? Wrong combination. And it's generally the carbohydrates that are driving that. You know, I find if people are really doing protein and healthy fats, they're not having those energy dips. So really critical that you get real about what it is that you're eating, get really honest with yourself. If you feel like you have to write everything down, some people do better writing it down than tracking it in their phone because it feels a little bit more tangible. Those are all good strategies to start with, but continue. It sounds like you're doing a great job. Awesome. Well, that was our last question, but where can listeners go to follow you and your work? Thank you. So www.cynthiathurlow.com. Um, I'm very active on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I've got a private Facebook group. It's a free group called Cynthia Circle. I know it's not a great name, but we had to, when we were rebranding for my prior business day, that's what we came up with just for a temporary fix. And for your listeners, I'm going to give away one copy. Um, they're going to, it'll be one copy of Balance and Thrive Healthy Hormones, which is a great ebook. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. 
And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at ChantelRayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.